Hello, this is Tony Blazer for the Motocross Vault presented by Blinzall. If you're in the market for some high-quality racing oil for your two-stroke or four, make sure you go to blinzall.com and use our discount code VAULT20 to save 20% at checkout. Thank you for all the support. Hi, this is Jim Holly, and welcome to the Motocross Vault. Welcome back to the Motocross Vault. My name is Tony Blazer, and what this video is going to cover is a look back at how the 125 class of 1987 fared in the shootouts at the time. This is one of my favorite articles to write for Pulp MX. Also, these videos are a lot of fun. I love shootouts. I've always been kind of my favorite things. Nice little roundup. Uh, even some years when I'm not that into buying a bike, I still like seeing how they all stack up, and it's always fun to uh, see what the magazines think. This year is actually pretty interesting for me because I actually have a lot of experience with these machines. I own an 87 CR125. I had an 87 KX125. I actually owned a very similar 88 YZ125 a little bit after that. And uh, so I'm pretty familiar with it. The only bike I did not have really is I've uh, obviously never had a Kajiva 125. Although I have ridden the 87 one time. Buddy of mine had one. I did get to ride. No, I bought the 88. Uh, buddy of mine had an 88, the white one. And I did get to ride that. Uh, it was a pretty different feeling machine at the time. I remember that. Uh, I never had the Suzuki though. I've never had any 80 Suzuki 125s. Uh, so I don't have any experience with those. But I did get to ride the Kawasaki, the Honda, and, and a very similar Yamaha quite a bit. Um, I love the CR. I think the CR was a way better bike. Uh, the KX was pretty fun to ride. It had a good little punchy motor, but the suspension was super soft. I remember that. It was way, way worse than the CR, in my opinion, at least for me. Um, the CR, though, was just the best bike by far back then. It was really not much of a contest. The Honda had way more power on top. The suspension, the forks in particular, were really great this year. Better brakes. The Kawasaki's brakes were very strong back then, but they didn't have the feel um, they always grab you. I was always stalling the darn thing and locking the rear tire up. Where the Honda really just didn't do that. They had a good job of taking that, that old drum brake feel and transitioning it to the discs while giving you the power without giving you that kind of on-off light switch feel that the Yamaha had the same problem. 88YZ, the rear brake was really kind of a light switch on that thing. And the CR really was much more progressive. It just They had the formula down right. These were really great years for Honda in terms of performance. And you see that in most of the shootouts. They pretty much dominate most of the standings in these years. Um, the Yamaha was very fun to ride. The engine was super punchy. It had way more grunt in these years. The 86, the 87, 88... Super strong, low to mid power bands. They're actually very fun to ride. You know, as far as that goes, the suspension wasn't that great in '87, particularly. Uh, I have ridden the '87 250 and 490. A buddy might have one of those as well. And I remember these forks were like probably the some of the worst forks I've ever ridden. They were just so harsh and awful. They just almost felt like they hydraulic locked on things. You'd hit it and it just would stop. And uh, <laughs> they were just grim. And uh, 88, they added cartridge forks. My 88 125 had way better suspension. Uh, the shock was still not great in this year. But overall, I think that really held back the uh, the Yamahas at the time. And the Suzuki's, you know, they were kind of, this was kind of really, after dominating the 70s and early 80s, Suzuki just kind of went in a little bit of a lull there for uh, four or five years in the mid to late 80s. And this was not definitely not their era. Uh, but this what this video is going to cover is how the magazines at the time ranked them. Now, interestingly, I have all these magazines back here. Dirt Rider didn't do a shootout in 87. It's weird. Um, I went through all of them. I went through them twice to make sure I didn't miss anything, but they didn't do a shootout. It's kind of Dirt Rider's weird this year. They would do, like in 87, they did a 500 shootout, but then they didn't do a 125 shootout. When you figure the 500s are only a couple of bikes at this point, certainly not the Premier machines. Uh, the 125s were way more popular, so I, I just can't fathom why they wouldn't have done it, but they didn't. Uh, so this year, I couldn't include them in the standing. So I have... Uh, this is going to cover what Motocross Action, Dirt Bike, and Cycle World 
uh, which actually was doing a lot of off-road content at the time as well, uh, thought of the 125s in 1987. If you like this sort of thing, you can check out uh, some of the other videos I've done. I've done many other shootout roundups, uh, individual reviews as well of uh, off-road and ATVs. Uh, I have all kinds of stuff on the channel, so if you like this kind of off-road content, make sure you check out some of the other videos I've done. If you'd like to support what I do here at the Motocross Vault, I do have Motocross Vault merch available. I have all kinds of uh, off-road designs, individual motorcycles, motorcycles in the backs of trucks, ATVs. Uh, I just came out with a new PW50 design. I have uh, new stuff in the hopper all the time I'm kind of working on. And if you have something you want done individually, like uh, I have done a couple of commission stuff. I just did a, a design for a gentleman who wanted his the truck his dad had back in the 90s with the ATV and the two dirt bikes his, uh, him and his brother had. And I did that for them. So I am willing to do some commission stuff. If you are interested in something like that, you can hit me up in the comment section or drop me an email at themotocrossvault at gmail.com and I'll see if I can work something out for you. So here without further ado is a look back at how the 125 class of 1987 shaped up in the shootout standings of the time. First up in our 125 rankings for 1987, we have the all-new Honda CR125R. This year, Motocross Action ranked it first out of four, Dirt Bike ranked it first out of four, and Cycle World ranked it first out of five. In 1986, Honda owned the 125 class with a monster motor that dominated the standings. After two years of playing second fiddle to Kawasaki's powerhouse KX125, Honda came out swinging with a revised motor that beat the Cowie at its own game. The 86CR barked off idle and blasted through a blistering mid-range hit. It was not much of a screamer, but it pulled hard enough through the middle to keep its rivals well at bay. For 1987, Honda made the bold choice to completely scrap its dominating 1986 platform and introduce an all-new 125 machine. The 1987CR featured an all-new case reed power plant, redesigned frame, sleek new bodywork, and all-new suspension front and rear. An all-new disc brake was added to the rear, and the renowned cartridge forks found only on the 250 and 500 in 1986 finally made their way to the CR125. While the bike enjoyed a similar look to the 86 model, it was truly an all-new machine. On the track, the 87CR once again dominated with the best motor in the 125 class. The new case reed engine was softer down low than 86, but pulled even stronger through the middle and positively shrieked on top. Once on the pipe, it left every other machine in the class in its wake. Add in a bulletproof clutch and the best shifting in the class, and you had the ultimate 125 power package of 1987. In addition to its blistering engine performance, the CR offered the best turning, flawless forks, perfect brakes, sexy looks, and excellent ergonomics. Its all-new piggyback shower shock was fairly mediocre, and its stability at speed was virtually non-existent, but these were minor quibbles to most serious 125 pilots. Perhaps more concerning were reliability issues tied to faulty top-end bearings and air leaks at the reed valve. Both of these issues needed to be addressed and watched very carefully. In spite of these peccadillos, however, the CR125R was the unanimous choice for top 125 in all three shootouts. In the 125 class, motor has always been king, and there was only one tiddler in 87 fit to wear that crown. Next up in our rankings is the 1987 Kawasaki KX125. This year, Motocross Action ranked its second out of four, Dirt Bike ranked its second out of four as well, and Cycle World ranked its second out of five. In 1984 and 85, Kawasaki waxed the 125 field with a powerhouse motor that out-torqued the competition. The KX barked out of turns and went, while the 125 competition was still trying to get spooled up. In 86, Kawasaki abandoned its torquey roots and decided to go for revs. The result was a pro-focused motor that was faster on top but far harder to ride. 
Steven Prost found this change less than ideal, and the previous champ got handed its lunch in the final standings by Honda's far easier to ride CR125R. For 1987, Kawasaki aimed to recapture its lost glory by shifting the power band out of the stratosphere. An all-new cylinder shifted the exhaust to a center port design and featured revised porting and a new concave piston for a more uniform burn. The Kawasaki integrated power valve system was also massaged and featured larger valves and lighter aluminum construction for better response. There was also a new frame to accommodate the changes from a side port to a center port exhaust which featured an enlarged steering stem and increased bracing to prevent the frame breakages many had suffered in 1986. While the new chassis maintained the same basic geometry of the year before, it had increased strength and promised improvements in on-track performance. The bodywork remained largely unchanged, aside from an alteration in the side plates to accommodate the 1987's new airbox design. On the suspension front, Kawasaki chose to save a few dollars by neglecting to install Kiaba's new cartridge system in the forks and instead went with a modified version of the unloved travel control valve system they had used in 86. A new shock was added that deleted the high-low compression adjuster of 86 in favor of a simpler single compression adjuster. The shock body was also hard-coated to increase durability, and the lever ratio of the Unitrack was altered slightly to provide a more progressive action. On the track, the 1987 KX125 was a significant improvement in nearly every respect. The new center port motor pulled much better down low, and it carried through a solid mid-range and decent top-end hook. It was far easier to ride than the Peaky 86 version, and a major improvement in all respects. Fast experts still preferred the hard hit and endless pull of the CR, but for most riders, the KX offered a winning motor package. On the handling front, the Kawasaki was improved as well, with a new stronger frame offering a much more solid feel than in the past. It was less lithe in the turns than the CR, but also far less terrifying at speed in the rough. There was none of the Honda's violent head shake, and the Kawasaki could be bombed down rough straights that would have had a CR pilot wishing he had packed a second set of undershorts. The Kawasaki's layout was also slightly larger than the other machines, and taller riders found the green machine a better fit in most situations. Where things came undone for Kawasaki was in the suspension department. Both ends were badly undersprung and underdamped for anyone above an absolute novice. Medium-sized jumps and large whoops crashed the KX to the stops, and its old-fashioned TVC forks were just not up to handling the wide variety of terrain that Honda and Suzuki's more sophisticated forks could absorb with ease. With stiffer springs and Kawasaki's optional cartridge upgrade kit, the KX was capable of running with anyone in the class, but in stock condition, it was a fork away from the top spot in all the major shootouts. Next up in our shootout rundown is the 1987 Yamaha YZ125. This year, motocross action picked it third out of four, dirt bike ranked it fourth out of four, and Cycle World picked it fifth out of five. In 1986, Yamaha took a huge step forward from the 125-class whipping boy to a legitimate contender. The all-new 86YZ featured a slim new layout and a fun-to-ride power band. It was short on breadth but long on punch, and easily the most competitive Yamaha tiddler in half a decade. For 1987, Yamaha chose to focus on refinement rather than reinvention on their YZ125. The 86 model had suffered from an annoying bog when landing off jumps and a weak clutch that chattered and slipped when abused. To rectify these issues, Yamaha made several small changes to the engine cases and clutch mechanism to increase oil flow. They also massaged the porting and swapped out the carb in an effort to exercise the bog and boost the top end pull. Like Kawasaki, Yamaha chose to keep costs down and go one more year without adding cartridge internals to their forks. This saved a few dollars, but yielded predictably poor results. 
the YZ's variable damping Kayaba forks were grim in action and easily the worst performers in the class. Unfortunately, the shock's action was not much better, and this utter suspension ineptitude handicapped the YZ in all the magazine's standings. In addition to its punishing ride, the YZ suffered from notchy shifting, a tendency to lift the front end out of turns, and a complete lack of top-end power. With its snappy low-to-mid punch and light feel, Motocross Action thought the YZ held a lot of potential and ranked it third behind the KX and CR. For the others, however, its narrow power spread, stubborn shifting, and stone-age suspension action relegated the Yamaha to last in the standings. In the case of Cycle World, that meant it even lost out to Kajiva's Italian Stallion, the WMX-125. With some suspension work, the YZ could certainly have run at the front, but in stock condition, it was too unrefined to threaten the best machines in the class. Next up in our rundown is the 1987 Suzuki RM125. This year, Motocross Action ranked it 4th out of 4, Dirt Bike ranked it 3rd out of 4, and Cycle World ranked it 4th out of 5. In 1986, Suzuki swung for the fences on their RM125 and struck out miserably. The all-new but old-look RM suffered from gutless power, poor ergonomics, a sticky shock, and cranky handling. It offered a 70s style of 125 power that was all rev and no grunt. This made the bike far too difficult to ride for most riders below the pro class, and relegated the arm to last in the majority of the 86 shootouts. For 1987, Suzuki once again threw the kitchen sink at the RM125 in an attempt to pull the yellow machine out of the basement of the 125 standings. There was an all-new motor with a completely redesigned power valve, all-new suspension that ditched the stiction-prone eccentric cam linkage of 86 in favor of a more traditional link arm design, all-new forks that incorporated Kiaba's version of Honda's cartridge fork system, and an all-new frame that narrowed the midsection for an improved feel. About the only thing that Suzuki did not change was the bodywork, which continued to look like a holdover from 1984. On the track, the 87RM was a major improvement in one category and a push in all the others. The new cartridge forks and redesigned full floater were fantastic and gave the RM the best overall suspension package of 1987. It was supple, well-controlled, and capable of handling novices and pros with equal ease. Aside from that, however, the arm was little more than a recycle of 1986. The chassis felt hinged in the middle and inaccurate at all times. The motor was stronger on top, but still pathetic anywhere else. If you could keep it at full boil, it was fast, but if you hesitated for a split second, it fell off the pipe and demanded two downshifts and a flogging of the clutch to get back going. The cramped ergonomics were panned by all, and the bike continued to look as if the bodywork was designed by two different committees that never bothered to talk to each other. For dirt bike and cycle world, the RM suspension prowess was enough to bump it above the wrist-busting YZ in the standings. Neither machine was a perfect handler, and both featured narrow power spreads, albeit at very different extremes on the curve, but the RM's superior suspension made going fast easier in their estimation. For motocross action, the RM suspension advantage was just not enough to make up for its utter lack of low-end power. The bike was fine for pros, but frustrating for anyone else, and just too hard to ride to finish above the flawed but fun to ride YZ. The last machine in our shoot-up roundup is the 1987 Kajiva WMX125. This year, motocross action and dirt bike did not rank the Kajiva, but Cycle World ranked it third out of the five contenders. Today, the Kajiva name is mostly forgotten in motocross circles, but the brand has a long heritage that dates all the way back to the failed Harley-Davidson motocross experiment of the late 70s. After the MX250 failed to catch on, AMF Harley-Davidson decided to cut their losses and sell their Italian motorcycle holdings to Claudio and Gianfranco Castiglione in 1978. 
the brothers founded Kajiva soon after and set about turning Harley's failure into an Italian motocross success. By 1985, Kajiva had a 125 World Motocross title to their credit, with Finnish rider Pekka Vekkonen at the controls. While Kajiva enjoyed plenty of success on the world stage, they continued to struggle for acceptance in America. Very few machines made it to the U.S. market, and most magazines at the time largely ignored them. In spite of this, however, the Kajiva 125s of the mid-80s were highly competitive machines. The motors were as fast as anything in the class, and their high-dollar Olins and white power suspension components were some of the best available at the time. When tested, it was mostly the suspension setup and unique Euro feel they exuded that held them back in the final standings. Rock-hard seats, sit-on ergonomics, and suspension settings set up for Europe's high-speed tracks all seemed weird to a generation of riders raised on Japanese machines. For 1987, Kajiva once again took a stab at breaking into the American motocross market with an updated version of their 86 World Champion replica machine. Kajiva looked to boost power by adding new porting, reshaping the power valve, redesigning the exhaust, and ditching the 86 model's Del Ordo carburetor in favor of an all-new oval slide Kahin PJ. The 86 model's conventional Marzacci forks were also replaced with White Power's new 4054 inverted design. In 1987, these were some of the most advanced suspension components available, and this set the Kajiva apart from its ubiquitous rivals. In the rear, the 87WMX continued to use a premium Olin shock to handle the damping duties, but a heavier spring was added and new valving was installed to smooth out the Italian's suspension action. On the track, the Kajiva continued to be a competitive but rather unique experience. Like the Yamaha, the motor was very fast when on the pipe, but not very long on duration. It hit hard in the mid-range, but preferred to be shifted rather than wrung out like the Honda or Suzuki. Low-end power was sufficient to pull the WMX out of tight turns, but it lacked the right-now snap of the Yamaha. Overall, it was a good motor package that required a deft hand and quick left foot to keep it in the meat of its usable power spread. As with previous Italian machines, the majority of complaints originated with the feel of the bike and its suspension action. Compared to the Japanese bikes of the time, the Kajiva felt tall, and its firm saddle gave the impression of sitting on top of the bike instead of in it. Today, this would seem perfectly normal, but in 1987, the Kajiva felt rather out of place. The overall feel of the controls and layout were also very different than the Japanese machines. This was something riders could adapt to, but it put the WMX at a disadvantage when compared back-to-back -back with the more familiar machines from Japan. On the suspension front, the new 4054 inverted forks received rather mixed reviews. Some riders liked their action, while others found them harsh. Nearly everyone found them to be too soft, and jump-filled tracks quickly exceeded their stock settings. Both the forks and shocks were lightly sprung, and the WMX could be easily bottomed on Supercross-style circuits. These settings probably worked very well on the rolling natural terrain courses of Europe, but they are a bit out of step with the jumpy U.S. tracks of the time. As ATK had shown, both the white power forks and Olin's shock could be made to work very well, with proper setup, but in stock condition, they were in need of a bit of fine-tuning. Overall, the 1987 Kajiva was a thoroughly modern bike and a highly competitive machine in need of a little fine-tuning and a better dealer network. If more riders had been given the opportunity to ride a Kajiva, it's pretty certain they would have made a bigger dent in the States. With the acquisition of Husqvarna in 1987, the Kajiva brand would soon be transitioned to a more well-known Swedish name and go on to win several more world motocross titles in the 1990s. While they would never become a mainstream in the U.S., the Gajiva brand made good on the promise of the 70s Harley-Davidson motocross experiment and showed that the Italians were more than capable of building a machine that could take on the world's best. 
So there you have it. This is a look back at the 125 class of 1987. A group of machines, as I said, I was very familiar with. I had a couple of them, and I've ridden all of them uh, very close, at least to other than the Suzuki. Now, I've always wondered what these RMs are like, because they really got lambasted in the, in the magazines at the time. You didn't see as many RMs, too, back then. The RMs were, like, as I said, dominant for many years, but they kind of hit a rocky road here until uh, 1989 when they came out with the all-new RM and the bikes were way, way better. Um, I love 125s, even though I've always been a little heavy for them. I like riding them. They're just fun holding wide open. Smaller bikes have always appealed to me a little bit more than the big ones, and uh, 125s are awesome. I'm glad that Yamaha and KTM and Husqvarna still make them. They're certainly great beginner machines, and they're super fun to ride. Uh, definitely uh, worth taking one of these things out for a spin if you ever have a chance. The 87 in particular is probably the best bike by any standards. Even now, I think they're pretty desirable as collector's bikes. And it was a great time for Honda. And Honda really had it on fire here in 87. They were dominating all the standings. And pretty hard to go wrong with riding red back then. Uh, if you like this sort of thing, make sure you uh, check out some of the other videos I've done. If you could share, like, and um, add comments below, that helps me grow the channel. Helps other people find our content here. And I really appreciate all the support everybody gives me. So until we meet again, this is Tony Blazer for the Motocross Vault. Keep the rubber side down. Peace.